Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Missing the Point with Miles David. I am glad to be back and I missed you guys. If this is your first time listening to the show, make sure you subscribe, follow, or download wherever you get your podcast so that you don't miss out when another episode drops. And if you aren't new to the show and you're coming back, then I appreciate you coming back to listen to all my mess. <laughs> As always, make sure that you're keeping up with the podcast on social media. The podcast can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at the same handle, Missing Point Pod. I know somebody out there is listening to this and is like, boy, where you been at? <laughs> I promise you, y'all, I will do my best to make sure you get weekly episodes. But the past two weeks, <laughs> I, to be honest with you, you know, Thanksgiving definitely played a part into my general feeling of laziness <laughs> in general. Well, yeah, it did. I am wholeheartedly like definitely roped in and all for the journey of this podcast never get that misconstrued or never get that twisted because I, I like doing this and I like you know building a platform for myself and for others to to talk about tennis and other things and that's one more thing if you are a first-time listener we definitely talk tennis on this podcast but I also talk pop culture urban entertainment and all of the things going on in media as well as some other things going on in my life so it's a mixture of some things but back to what i was saying <laughs> i know somebody's just like where you been at <laughs> y'all editing is hard and i realized that i need a break from it sometimes and you need a break from pretty much all of life shit sometimes especially in 2020 so i guess we need to i needed to get some time to get miles together so that's pretty much all I was doing. I wasn't doing anything special. I just was trying to get to a place where I felt the enthusiasm to hop on my laptop and edit all this shit because I'm a one man show for right now. And y'all are getting the grassroots of this podcast. If you are, you know, with me from the beginning. So hopefully you can say a year or two from now that, wow, you know, I listened to the very first episode and he sounded like shit and now he don't. <laughs> but yeah, I just had to, you know, recuperate and find my motivation again and you know get back into the lab and now i'm back in today's episode i'll be talking to brian about the atp finals in london that just wrapped up not long ago and just in general some things that are going on in the tennis world in the tennis community and how we feel about things moving forward to 2021 and then also doing a little bit of recapping the season overall so me and brian are going to be chopping it up a lot on this episode I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. I'm going to get into the conversation now. And before I do, thank you guys for listening so far. Thank you guys for rocking with me. I do appreciate it. Thank you for the feedback I've been getting. Thank you for the shares I've been getting. If you are listening to the podcast and sharing it on your social media platforms or just sharing it word of mouth or giving me feedback in the Instagram comments or DMs or Twitter or whatnot. I really am thankful for that. It lets me know that I'm going in somewhat of a positive direction. <laughs> but no, for real, I really do appreciate the love I've been getting, especially, you know, with this podcast being, you know, fresh. So I appreciate that. I got some good feedback on the last episode when I inserted an actual audio grab or an audio clip of an actual tennis match. You guys like that. Some people 
guessed which tennis players were in it. It really wasn't hard. It was Serena and Lindsay Davenport, <laughs> two of my favorite players. One is actually, you know, my favorite player, and Lindsay is in the mix. <laughs> and this week, I have another tennis clip. Let me know if you can guess who are the two tennis players. Again, it really isn't a super hard one if you know me. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much it. I need to just hush and let the conversation run. And that's what I'm going to do now. A 12-deuce game. Somebody asked me on Instagram, what uh, stroke would I take or what shot would I take? I said, Serena serve. And then somebody replied to that and said, pre this mama serve. Oh, pre. Yeah, I mean. Pre this mama. Unfortunately. (laughs) Oh, that's still our fave. Still our fave. Can't can't take away the faving, the faveness of it all. Right. Okay. You ready to hop into it? Ready to go. It's good to see you. Like I was saying earlier, I haven't... um, I know it sounds weird, but I haven't laid eyes on you in a little bit. <laughs> Good to be seen. <laughs> you know you are. You know you are in-house uh, tennis enthusiast, resident <laughs> resident guest host, <laughs> resident guest host slash tennis nerd, just like me slash all of those other things. And we are going to be talking about the ATP finals that just wrapped up in London, and kind of just wrapping up the season as a whole because there are no more professional tennis tournaments taking place, which part of me is happy about. <laughs> and the other half is just kind of like, so what am I going to do with my life for the next couple of weeks? Mm-hmm. But the, the good thing about tennis is that it kind of keeps on rolling. They really only have about maybe two to three real weeks of being off. And then it's right back to the grind. Allegedly. We'll get, to, we'll get to, you know, what's kind of been happening um, in Australia for the Australian summer swing that happens at the top of every year with some different things taking place because of COVID. We'll get to that. But let's start off talking about the champion of the NEDO ATP finals in London. This was actually the final year that the ATP finals, which happens every year at the end of the season to basically celebrate the top eight performers of that season and kind of have a a battle royale <laughs> of sorts <laughs> to see who was the real big dog of all the big dogs. Um, right. It was housed in London since 2009. It'll be moving to a city in Italy next season and, you know, for a couple of seasons after that. But this was the last rendition in London in the O2 arena and the Russian Daniel Medvedev took home the glory. He took home the trophy. He sure did. He did. He I was actually surprised at how much attention I gave these finals just because, just because I don't really give it that much in a traditional year. It almost kind of feels like, although, you know, although it is like the battle of the best of the best. So that is kind of intriguing. Right. At the end of a full traditional season, it's just like, can we like. <laughs> We're all just kind of exhausted at that yeah, point. For so sure. it's, it's just like one more tournament to like get through. But this one didn't feel like that all the way. Probably because we were starred for tennis and we yeah. didn't really get that much this year. Yeah. And I mean, usually I would prefer my my starvation to be quenched. Oh, is it? Is it? How do you cure starvation? Just give people food? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. I would like it to be cured by WTA tennis, but that's just a personal preference. <laughs> but whatever. The, WT, the WTA chose to be smarter, as they typically do. 
and not hold any and not hold any tournaments until next year, which is cool. But sorry, I got off track. <laughs> <laughs> Medvedev brought home the brought home the trophy, and he actually, you know, he want he went into that tournament on a confidence high, having just won the Paris indoors tournament. I know I mentioned that in a previous mm-hmm. show. Um, you know, talking about Medvedev winning that tournament, but for whatever reason, I didn't give him a huge chance of winning it. Did you? I don't think anyone really picked him at all. Um, Not that he couldn't. It's just weird yeah. that when you look back on it, it's weird that he had just won a title coming in and nobody was really picking him to win it. And then not only does he win it, he beats – he's the number four ranked player. I think he either got – yeah, I think he got back to number four in the world with the win in Paris the week before. And then in London, he beat, he beat the three players ahead of him, which are Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal and Dominique Team in kind of succession. The only blip he had was beating Diego Schwartzman in the final Ron Robin match, but he beat Novak Djokovic in straight sets. He beat Rafael Nadal in a really good match after Nadal actually served for the match, either a couple times or at least once. I'm not sure. I he was made really shocked point. to hear that because that's one of the matches I didn't see uh, for mm. the Nito final, but when I saw that, Nadal served for the finals, I was shocked because usually he's a very solid closer. Mm-hmm. Um, and considering he's, you know, obviously has been wanting this title for decades now at this yeah, point. The case continues <laughs> for that title. He's never won the, the ATP finals at the end of the year. Yeah, you would think he would have closed it out, but I mean, that, I guess that just speaks to, you know, Medvedev's stick to itiveness and <laughs> wanting to, to get the job done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, we can we can clear the elephant in the room. You can say you don't like Medvedev that much. <laughs> he's he's grown he's he's grown from dislike to just um, meh. Like I don't I don't I don't like don't dislike. He's kind of just there for me. Mm-hmm. I really did not like him from the US Open, as most fans did not. He was just seemed super. You didn't like him from when? It might have cut off a little bit. Oh, the 2019 U.S. Open. So he, as most people saw, was just, he was super cranky, like yelling or like antagonizing the crowd, like trying to play this like villain role. And it's just like, eh, I just wasn't on board for that. Um, and then he can get really moody on court too. Like very, he, <laughs> he can get, be very rude to the chair and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, there's there's just no need for that. So he's he's not one of my favorite players. And then he just has like a different kind of game. Um, not I think that's giving him exciting style. Yeah, that's... it makes him unique for sure. Unique. I'll give him mm-hmm. major brownie points for being indifferent, but just not a not one that I will turn on the TV for. You know, I think you're underselling him just a tad, or maybe yeah. I'm, or maybe I'm going into him a little too hot, just because I already thought of. I already thought of this when I when I watched him before this week, but this week just solidified why I think he's like the Mr. Fantastic of tennis. He just he has a way of <laughs> contorting his body and just making tennis look like a next level sport that it, it doesn't always look like. I mean, granted, you know, we, we've had moments where Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer Sometimes that guy named Novak Djokovic can hit a shot and you're like, oh, wow, I can't believe that shot even happens on the tennis court. Mm-hmm. But Medvedev does that consistently throughout a match. 
And when he ties it all together like he did for the past for for the past two weeks in London and in Paris, he's a threat. And I, I really I can't believe I'm saying this. Like he's not my favorite player to watch, but I also enjoy watching him. You know, I think I think for me is that, and I sh- really shouldn't even be saying this because a lot of people. Uh, rightfully so say this about me when I play is that it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't really look like he's doing anything when he's out there because he doesn't look like he's exerting a lot of yeah he's fast and can track down a lot of balls but like when it comes to like power and pace and just like exerting energy it, but some he's just always getting like that extra ball back he's like a he's a counter puncher who can turn on pace when he wants to if that makes sense like it's not really the most exciting style but it gets the job done he's a counter puncher but also has the ability to bomb a serve and kind of like exactly. flatten out his strokes to right. the point where it gives rafael nadal some trouble some trouble because you just saying it on paper ooh, a counter puncher that kind of injects pace is not somebody that you would that would trouble the world's top three on paper but when right. you look when he comes to the court he brings such he brings such variety and it's not like he's a trick shotter. Like he's not like an old school Fabrice Santoro. He still has the base of the modern tennis game, which is playing from the baseline, hitting mm-hmm. heavy shots. But there's so much guile in between that, that it makes he's, I, I was listening to another podcast and they were just like, he's not the player you're going to like turn on the television or go to a YouTube, a YouTube video to watch like highlights of his of his shots just because they don't like they're not sparky in that way but if you're like Mm -hmm. a true authentic fan of tennis which i feel like that breed is dying day by day (laughs) (laughs) this is what this podcast is for (laughs) if you if you really enjoy watching a match from the beginning to the end he's going to put on a show it's just that that doesn't really translate to like quick 90 second tennis highlights you know it's it's hard to explain but i think that's what he revels in i think Mm -hmm. he when you mentioned the stuff that happened at the 2019 u.s open with him like trying to you know kind of be the bad guy or the person that riles up the crowd i think that was him trying to find his niche in tennis and if you Mm -hmm. notice like when he celebrated match point at the atp finals he kind of just shrugged and Mm -hmm. that's kind of becoming his thing but he also comes off like he really does care because of how you said earlier he gets so emotional on the court so i think he has um he's just he's wired a little bit weird and he he does come off like somebody that would be interesting to get a beer with at a bar <laughs> but also might annoy you in said bar you know he's, he's definitely <laughs> quirky, like a quirky personality for sure he get, he gets it and I, I i really i really want to see him you know, continue to to thrive. And in, in, in saying that, um, I don't know if we mentioned this, but he is one of, he's one of four men to actually beat the, the top three ranked players at one single event. Those other men being uh, David Nobandian from Argentina back in 2007, Novak Djokovic did it in 2007 in Montreal, and then Boris Becker did it in 1994 in Stockholm. So when I read that out loud, like we were talking about, you know, before we press record, that doesn't happen that often, which you shouldn't be able to just beat the three best players in a row that often. But if you're going to be in that list of names, like all of those people I just mentioned, except maybe no bandy, and I, I think they probably won't put him in the Hall of Fame. Those mm-hmm. are Hall of Fame names, you know? So, right. I mean, that's not bad company. And 
to go from not winning a single match because he qualified for this same event last year. He didn't win a single match and to go from not winning a single match to winning all of them. Like he didn't, he didn't drop a single match and then leave the season on a 10 match win streak is a very different impressive. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty good turnaround. Not that he had a bad year in 2019 at all. Like that was his coming out party. People tried to say that he was kind of, in a slump, so to speak, this year. But that's just because he hasn't figured out, for whatever reason, how to play on clay. You would think how we're talking about him, how we're talking about him now, that his game would kind of translate well to that. But he has yet to win a match at at, uh, the French (laughs) Open, which is crazy. very crazy. That's crazy. But, I mean, you know, that that goes straight into the ever-evolving case of Daniel Medvedev. So that, you know, he's probably going to be one of those players that has some weird stats and also has some really, really amazing moments that you just like, Where's how did he do that? Kind of like Murat Safin. People were trying to compare his backhand to Murat Safin's backhand. I think they were doing that just because of the Russian thing. I don't really I see know. it, but I, but he, I but know. as far as personality-wise, Murat Safin, I wouldn't say they're cut from the same cloth, but I could see the comparison personality-wise. Like, Murat Safin had no problem being, quote-unquote, the villain, but also in a weird way, you cheered for him because he came up like a nice guy at the same time. That's kind of mm-hmm. how I feel about Daniel Medvedev. He's somebody to look that. out for. Do you think... Um, do you think this win will, I guess, uh, yield good dividends for him going into the next season? Even though the next season is very much so, you know, on shaky ground with people not knowing when they're going to host tournaments because the pandemic is still pantying. Um, <laughs> I like that word. I mean, I think it definitely sets him up or puts him in a good spot for Australia. Obviously, he seems to thrive on the hard courts. Um, so I think. He'll definitely be in, you know, the top top three picks to to win the Australian Open. Um, it all it's always good to like, you know, end the season on a high and hopefully be able to carry that forward. So I I think I think he'll do well. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if he won a major uh, next next year. You know, I mean, the the person he beat in the finals, we haven't talked about him. His the runner up or the person Daniel Medvedev beat was Dominique Team, who was also the 2020 US Open. And I've been seeing a lot of people try to not a lot, I guess I shouldn't say a lot, but I've seen some people try to negate Dominique Team's win at the US Open because of mainly how he had to like struggle to get the actual win in the championship match. That wasn't a that wasn't a pretty match at all, and also mm-hmm. because he didn't face any of the big three because Roger Federer Roger Federer was out with injury, Novak Djokovic was defaulted, and mm-hmm. Rafael Nadal didn't even show up to play. So people are just like, you know, yes, he's a part of the major winner circle or the Grand Slam winner circle, but did he really have to go through much? And for me, I don't necessarily think this tournament is like the changing of the guard, a term that people love to use in tennis. Mm-hmm. <sighs> oh my god sometimes I'm passing just like, the torch we, passing the torch and all that fun stuff people love people love that terminology in the school <laughs> just, just listen to one hour of commentary i'm sure you're gonna listen I'm sure you'll hear it um not the changing of the god <laughs> <laughs> they have said that so many times in serena's matches that was supposed to be sharapova <sighs> uh, supposed, to people. supposed to be kerber all those people anyway i really do think that if we say like three or four years go by because in three or four years at least one of the big three Rafa Novak and 
uh, Roger are going to be retired. I'm sure it'll probably be Roger, but we never know. Yeah. But I'm, I'm a strong feeling three or four years, one of those three players are not going to be on a tour. I think we'll be able to look back at this moment and kind of see that's where it officially started going into the 2021 season because Dominique team beat Novak Djokovic in the semifinals and Medvedev beat Rafael Nadal in the semifinals, both really good three set matches, but they, I, I don't remember a time where I've seen both of them struggle, you know, because for the most part, mm-hmm. once they got, once we got through round robin stage, which is something I really am not really a huge fan of kind of gets confusing, but I get why they use it. I get why they use the format at the end of the year, just because everybody's played so well and they want to get the most bang for their buck as far as ticket sales or whatnot. When they got to the semifinals and the dust kind of was starting to settle, people were riding in Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic as the final, basically. And then we didn't get either of them. So not a one, (laughs) not a one or a two. (laughs) It was interesting to kind of see that. And then, you know, in, in past times, even in the 2020 U.S. Open, when, when we have people that aren't Rafael Nadal, Roger, or Novak in the finals, the nerves are, are really evident in the final. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case in the Medvedev and team uh, final. I mean... I, would, I wouldn't say it was as strong as the U.S. Open, but I think team missed a bunch of like easy sitters that I thought... Unfortunately, I had to miss, I had to miss the third out of that match for sure team was going to close out that because he he was a better player for most of that set and then there were a couple of chances where it was like break point where like he just just flood balls or like couldn't put a simple wait pause you know, i just feel like team um there were several shots i can think of three off the top of my head where had he not been suffering from nerves he would have easily closed out the match in two sets just because he was the you know, for the most part, the better player for the first two sets. Um, so I think that they were still there, but just not as strong as the U.S. Open. U.S. Open was pretty was Below, pretty bad yeah. Yeah, with how Below how power. bad the nerves were. But I think I think they were definitely there for team. Which is interesting because, like, why? I feel like most people were expecting team to win that match. In my just opinion. because he has proven. He's he had because he had won the quote unquote bigger titles up until that point. Not that Medvedev hasn't title, won, yeah. yeah, and older. He's been around for a few more years, more of a season <laughs> player. It's funny you mention that because they put team in the next gen, which is another term I'm really kind of growing tired of in tennis. They love gen. lumping him in, but it's like no, he's he, like a full three years older than Medvedev. He <laughs> is okay, but think about it in this. So like, there's this whole they call it like the forgotten gen as like a, you know, a play on words to the next gen, like the 22 and younger uh, crop of kids. There's this forgotten gen, which includes like the Gael Monfils, the Sangha, the Gasquet, the kind of the John Isner that are in their early, earlier thirties, if not like, like between well, no, they're, 30- not, they're not in the middle. They're the same gen as, you know, Nadal and Djokovic. I, I would um, well, okay, well, let, let's do, let's think about Forgotten Gen in terms of Dimitrov, Brownich, Kei Nishikori. Okay, I'll, um, I'll agree with those. <laughs> who else, who <laughs> else was kind of in that mix? Uh, no, I would say Chilich, but he's, he's he kind of did his thing. Um, but those three, uh, Med, not Medvedev, sorry. Dimitrov, Dimitrov, Brownich. Dimitrov, Brownich, Kei Nishikori, who I forget even still plays tennis sometimes. 
poor Kenny and Shakur. But those <laughs> those were supposed to be some of the examples of like the next generation, but they really never came full circle and had like their yeah it never they never really got their full glowing day in the sun but he's he's not a part of that like going back to team he's not a part of that generation either so i think the next best thing is to put him with the next gen so i don't i don't mind it but i mean 27 it's just weird because in tennis terms in tennis in tennis historian terms, 27 is low-key when tennis players started to think about retiring or like kind of put trying to start put a cap on their career, but not not so much anymore, especially when you have players like Roger Federer and Serena playing at 39 years old. So 27 is kind of like where you should be just hitting your stride. So I, the crazy I thing though is that te- team's actually closer in age to those guys because like let's see, team's 27 and then Dimitrov and Raonic are both 29. 29. Yeah. And then and then Medvedev is 20 how old is Medvedev? 24? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 24. 24. Yeah, but yeah, they, they do like to lump him in because he is kind of like in that no man's land, uh, no pun intended. I don't think there's any other, age. I don't know if any other 27-year-olds or any, anything around a 27-year-old that's doing good in tennis. It's either like 30 plus or like 23 and under. He might be the only one. Well, Schwartzman's yeah. tw- 28. Gotcha. But again, Schwartz, although I really like watching Schwartzman play just because he's like a little engine that could, he, I would not be surprised if Schwartzman doesn't like give us longevity at the, in the top 10. Like I wouldn't be surprised by that. Would I like to see it? Yes. But I also wouldn't be surprised just because it is so easy for people to kind of overpower him and he doesn't do anything besides compete. He doesn't do anything on the court that is like magnificent or can trouble the really big top players, you know? Yeah, no, I feel that. But yeah, that seems to be like the 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 lost age group. <laughs> like the anywhere from like twenty six to twenty eight, there's just like not a lot of players in that age range in the top of the game. Yeah, that's fair. So ho- hopefully we we continue to see. I would I wouldn't mind signing up for like a team Medvedev rivalry or even you know to be honest on the slick, a lot of the players in the ATP finals were considered or considerable next gen like rublev who had a great season with five titles although mm-hmm. he didn't do amazing at the slams or the other big tournaments you kind of got to put an asterisk next to that because the the year is what it is or was what it was then you had Tsitsipas from greece in that in the atp finals and then also zverev and and everyone else was like 28 plus with you know um which Schwarzman we just mentioned, Nadal, and then Djokovic. Everybody else was pretty young. So I think yeah. I think this tournament, like I said, was saying earlier, I think this tournament will be a marker as far as where we go in the next generation, especially if Roger Federer doesn't come out of the woodworks playing or moving well after his surgery and long layoff. And, right. you know, if Novak Djokovic keeps putting his ASICs in his mouth, hopefully he won't be around much longer. <laughs> And the doll, you know, has to keep his knees healthy. And, it's, you know, speaking of Djokovic putting his ASICs in his mouth, <laughs> what, what is it with him? I don't, I don't understand how he does not have a grip on – maybe that's his problem. I think he just is uh, out of touch on maybe what to say about things that even may be a little – controversial and when i say that background i mean he he posted a tweet i don't have the tweet pulled up you can go find it i'm sure he doesn't delete anything he posts um, he, <laughs> he basically, said what he said he said what he said which 
<laughs> which I'll give him a slice of respect for that. But in general, he he he's done a really good job of chipping away at the respect I had for him this year. And then when I, I you know I found myself looking at like some throwback pictures. The only time I really remember rooting for Djokovic, like with most of my chess was the 2008 Australian Open. And then I didn't even root for him in the final. I just wanted him to beat Roger Federer because I was kind of tired of Roger Federer. Like Roger Federer had come off of winning three turn- three majors the year before in 2007. I was kind of over it. Mm-hmm. And when I saw that Roger Federer had a chance to kind of lose, I was like, go Novak. And then, of course, you know, rooting for everybody black, I wanted Joe Wilfred Sanga to win in the final. But that didn't happen. But other than that, that was like the only year I was like, Novak Djokovic is good people. Once he got rid of that Wilson racket, I got rid of him, kind of, sort of. He just doesn't do anything. Like you were saying about, like, watching Medvedev, nothing really excites you. I can't watch a Djokovic match from beginning to end. I go to sleep. I don't. I, I, it's not to take away anything mm-hmm. from his numbers on the court. Great, like, great accomplishments. Definitely going to be a Hall of Famer. Definitely respect his place in the game. But... It's sport, and I'm allowed to have my opinion, and I just would not spend my last dollar to go watch a Djokovic match. I just wouldn't. I'd be like, yeah, I'll catch much it. Of a, I'll catch it on the grinder. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. He has he's passing, passing shots. I'll give him that. He has a lot of, like, good backhands down the line and all that kind of But point in and point out, it does kind of lull you to sleep a little bit. I'll watch the highlights on YouTube as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> And I'm good for that. <laughs> um, so a, a little bit about the about the tennis world off court a little bit. We got Djokovic basically coddling uh, Sasha Zverev or Alexander Zverev. They played in the round robin of the ATP finals. And I guess they had like a brother to brother moment at the end of the match. And Novak Djokovic went on to tweet basically wishing him well in all of his on-court and off-court struggles, so to speak. I'm paraphrasing the tweet. But he knew what he was doing when he mentioned the off-court stuff. He knew what he was doing. He's not a complete idiot. And with off-court stuff, I'm definitely referring to the looming allegations over Alexander Alexander Zverev's head when it comes to domestic abuse of his past partners. That's a That's a very serious thing. And for the ATP tour and I'll get to this in a second, to basically not acknowledge it is disappointing, but not surprising. Just because they've had situations where players have come under fire for doing things that, I mean, because let's, let's, let's be real, domestic abuse is against the law. It's like a, you can go to jail for it. not okay. Yeah, like it's not okay. So there should, I don't understand how they're allowing a player that has looming like it has a looming investigation with credible, credible charges, not charges, I guess he hasn't been charged yet, but credible accusations just play. And I know, you know, for a certain, for a certain person, you can say he's, you know, he's innocent until proven guilty, but you also shouldn't allow somebody that has such serious allegations like that to just keep being a millionaire and like, just not just go without any wherewithal, you know, like there should be some kind of, Hey, let's, let's get you out of the limelight for a little bit while we can kind of smooth things out, but they just don't say anything. They just kind of let him be the the person in power, which is the whole, which goes into the whole dynamic of domestic abuse and probably goes into the, to the reasoning why his ex-girlfriend waited how long she did to say anything. And then lo and behold, people are coming out of the woodwork saying that they stand with Zverev, AKA Djokovic, and basically 
insinuating that they don't believe her when she has a whole account of what happened in their relationship. But just because he's the one that's a little bit more famous, and I say a little bit because it's not like he, you know, if he doesn't have a good two seasons, people are going to forget about him. So it's not like he is in the brains of everyone on tennis. Some people don't even know who he is, but he is, he is the more popular person in that relationship. And they just are basically, for lack of a better term, pussyfooting around the whole thing. And I think that's very disappointing to see. Can you Uh, catch me up on what, what all she's, you said there's like several like credible things that she said. I feel like, she mentioned time and she mentioned times and dates like you know when he was at certain tournaments he mm-hmm. did this to her you know she mentioned you know her head being up against a wall and there's actually two people accusing him there's right. there's there's his a previous ex-girlfriend that is accusing, accusing him of domestic violence and another uh, ex-girlfriend that is um pregnant and accusing him of domestic violence in right. their in their relationship so uh, one of them I think it's Sherry Pova. I think I mentioned this in a previous show. It's Sherry Pova that did like a whole kind of piece, I guess, um, sharing her experiences with him that got... Did he confirm that he's the child's father or no? Yeah, he made made an Instagram post basically saying, I can't wait to be a father in so many words. Again, paraphrasing, but Mm -hmm. he made a post basically acknowledging, acknowledging, he made a post acknowledging the, like the gossip, but also declining or saying he didn't do anything with the domestic abuse, which again, I'm so used to people not being truthful and saying, Oh, I didn't do anything when in actuality, (laughs) you knew what you did. I mean, again, again, you know, innocent until proven guilty, but it's just not a reach for me to see Zverev being an abuser to his girlfriend, the way he's kind of always come across very privileged, very aloof, very, I can't think of a better word than privilege. (laughs) (laughs) He just, it it wouldn't be a reach for me to hear a woman say, you know, with all that brazen privilege he has, that he thinks he can do what he wants to, he he thinks he can do what he wants to a woman, including, you know, assaulting her physically, which is not okay. And again, is a crime. (laughs) Like, It's not okay. People People sit in jail for that. And I think the ATP should be taking it more seriously. At least Andy Murray thinks so. He came out and said, that the ATP needs a couple of different policies. (laughs) He said the ATP definitely needs a policy for domestic abuse because, again, uh, Zverev is not the the first player on the tennis tour to have had those allegations loom over his head and and nothing has been done. The player still has gone on to play, make millions of dollars and have a career and whatnot. And then also Andy Murray came out and said, um, I, I forget what publication publicized this, but he did say that he believes uh, COVID-19 vaccination should be mandatory for every player on tour. And I can't see how people would think that he's wrong. I do give a caveat because some people have this, this thing against vaccines, thinking they're going to make you like walk backwards or like make <laughs> your head spin. I mean, I get the, I get the, like the slight scare, but at the same time, do you want to be the person that doesn't have the vaccine? Everybody else is okay. And you, and you aren't. <laughs> True. Especially with how common day the flu vaccine is. Like I got that maybe a month or two ago and I feel completely fine. But you know, that's relative. Some people think I'm weird. So, you know. So. <laughs> well, that's a little different though. Cause that's a flu shot as a, well, but it is a vaccine. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I guess it is. Yeah, I guess it is. 
So I mean, I don't. I, but he's right though. The amount of the amount of like take away. Let's think back to when things were quote unquote normal. The amount of traveling the players on both sides have to do mm-hmm. in and out of in and out of planes, in and out of cars, in and out of hotels. You're putting everybody at risk along the way. So if if you are putting yourself in a position to bring home hundreds of thousands of dollars every time you step on a professional court, getting a vaccine should be just one of the things that you kind of put into your system of just, right. this is what I have to do to compete. You know, right, it shouldn't right. be, he shouldn't be receiving the kind of holdup that he is probably going to receive just how, just because people are the way that they are. They always want to have some kind of rebuttal against something. Just get the mm-hmm. vaccine whenever it comes. We have literally seen how damaging this virus has been to not only, well, I mean, it's been damaging to America because Americans don't freaking listen and we right. don't have great leadership to tell us what to do and be stern on it, but it's ravaged the whole world. So you, you, you can't, it's hard for me to, to, to see a sport like tennis that plays on basically every corner of the world, the players not get a vaccine. And then you want to interact with fans afterwards? <laughs> no, right. no. And we don't even <laughs> know when fans are going to be able to come back to the sport. Like for all intents and purposes, fans are just not even factored into the equation because it's too much of a liability. Yeah, it definitely is. I think one thing that I feel like some people might try to rebut is that if there is any sort of like a negative reaction or say there's like a health, problem or anything would the atp be held liable or like would they have to do like a payout if they're forcing their players to get it because there's a and there's an adverse reaction to the vaccine you mm-hmm. mean? yeah let's say someone you know like isn't able Start to play throwing or, up or something <laughs> yeah it's like that's where you kind of get into like the the uh you know the what the what if scenario but i mean they can do what the U.S. Open did this year. They can put a clause in there that says, look, even if you die, you cannot sue us. That's basically what their contract said. <laughs> mm. Even if, you, if you, you, are, you are choosing to participate, because, I mean, not to say that everybody that plays professional sports is, like, money hungry. There is, like, a, a very natural, raw, athletic competition side of it. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> they know what they're fighting for when they get on that court. Right. You know, you're training your ass off to bring home that pretty paycheck of a hundred thousand dollars plus, you know, even up to two, three, four million. Getting a vaccine just does not seem like something that should stop you from putting yourself in that position to be, to win. You know, right. it just doesn't. It just seems like it should be a no brainer to me. It should be. a yeah, That makes sense. No, it makes sense to me. So hopefully, hopefully that is something that they can, you know, I mean, we don't even know when a vaccine will be available. So this conversation may be a mute point. So who knows? But one thing we do know, and I, one thing you pointed out to me is that there has been a lack of line judges. <laughs> and I am a huge proponent of it because I think because I play so frequently, like I, I tend to play, you know, four to five times a week and some of those matches Right. <laughs> and some of those being competitive, some of them, you know, money is on the line, you know, bragging rights are on the line, all that kind of stuff. <sighs> Not having line judges at your disposal can really play a huge factor into the match and it can really, you know, change the whole momentum of a match, the whole dynamic, everything. So Not having I... that, you mean? Correct. 
not having it can change the you know the whole dynamic if someone and especially if you're just playing rec tennis because it's you know you don't even have like chair empires or anything yeah, we, we anything. pick up our own balls and call exactly. our own lines and everything exactly so the fact that the fact that it's honor system um and it's really you know a gentleman's game and all that kind of stuff that's a whole extra layer into the match that really should not have to be a factor in professional sport if you have the means to not do so and i think it worked pretty flawlessly at both the u.s open i mean minus the two short show courts and the um which was so weird but yeah yeah we won't go into that (laughs) and then also at the atp finals and that was perfect they i like how they kind of like mix it up and said like the closer the call like the more like elevated the volume would be which i thought that was kind of like a nice little you mean like the computerized saying out or yeah so it wasn't just like one standard out voice like mm-hmm. if it was like really really close the out would be like louder or which is like, almost what happens in real life <laughs> exactly so they were trying to mimic that which i thought that was trying to kind of cool how they're trying to make it as realistic as possible and as human as possible and i think they might even they even fluctuate like the tone and like the inflections mm-hmm. of the out as well i just I like, think it i like how be... they're trying to make it like more human it should be i i get how they're trying to make it more human but they should focus on making it more accurate or just the, depending on the accuracy of it because tennis is a game of centimeters and meters and inches like you're playing in the lines if you have the equipment and the technology to clear cut say this ball was in by this mm-hmm. much or this ball was out by that much that should deaden the whole thing now some people say right. when you do that you deaden the you deaden players reactions or you take some personality out of matches and stuff like that but is personality and and tension worth having a point go completely the wrong way? Because it's not. It's just not. All. It doesn't make sense it's to not. me. Like, I, and people are like, "Well, you know, it's good for TV." Yeah, I, I get it, but like, why would I? This is their livelihood. <laughs> it's just their livelihood. And again, I, I'm pretty sure I've said this. Why do I at at home, who has no stake at all in the match? How can I see if a ball was in or out or not by technology and the player that's playing for a million dollars can't see it? Slightly dramatic, slightly dramatic, but also very accurate. But literally one point can change an entire player's career. Yeah. Tennis is all about just that one point. That one point. That one point. Like literally it could be, it can mean, it can mean the difference of someone being a Grand Slam champion or not, or Mm -hmm. getting that 10 10-year endorsement deal or not just literally one point mm-hmm. so it's like you can't you can't stake Next that Venus Williams right you can't stake that on um you know people's eyes because yeah especially when you have the technology to not yeah it's already them. here yeah it like, was one thing yeah. it, was, it was one thing when the technology was kind of like you know in the phases but the technology been here so and the accuracy, it's already to like, I think it's like the something. size. It's the size of like a pencil, like the, the tip of a pencil. Like that's mm-hmm. the that's the how much it could be off. Yeah. So I'm like, you want to argue that? You're gonna sound like an idiot every time. <laughs> right. Cause there's there's no way a line judge can see closer than that. Like and then I mean spare a thought for the line judges because the, people have made a good a good um argument because there is like a trickle effect. Like most people that become line I mean, most people that become chair umpires, they start off as line judges. So people are just like, if you get away line judges and do everything electronically, 
who's going to be chair umpires. Well, that just means the training might have to... College tennis? (laughs) Junior tennis? (laughs) What that says to me is that you just have to adopt maybe like a different training set or like get people... Maybe you don't... Maybe there's a... Maybe there's a way you don't have to go through being a line judge to be a chair umpire. Just go through either more training or adjusted kind of training to make that make sense. Because I understand what they're saying, but at the same time, if I... And I, I think more people would agree with this. If I was the one playing with the million dollars and the world watching and, and it's about high level intensity, I want to get the call right. Not caring about, you know, who I don't want to, I don't want to have to watch it back and be like, what the fuck, you know, and like actually, Serena I don't didn't really for. agree with that argument too much either, because with this technology, it kind of makes the chair empire's job useless as well. And they're, they're literally <laughs> just there. Well, somebody has to flip the coin. Like, they're there for the the coin flip and crowd control. Like, those are literally the only two things. And to get hit in the head. And the and like the let the let system. Like, literally, which is which is which is also bad. That let system is terrible. Also bad. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, it's like you don't even really need to worry about the training so much at that point because it's like, a can you flip a coin? (laughs) B, can you tell the the crowd to quiet, please? And can you call time? That's like the extent of what a chair. Do you know how much time the players get between each sets and each sit down? Like, yeah, pretty much. Give a point. I mean, people have. It's it's weird how people in one breath can say, you know, they want the the game to advance, and then when it starts advancing, they're just like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Like, no, you can't. You can't have it both ways. Like, the game has to advance, just like every other sport has. Like, they want tennis, and I mean, I, I, I agree that tennis is a very historical sport, and it has a really like specific lineage and how things are done, but the game has to grow. Like it, 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 if it doesn't, we're going to be looking at, and we're already looking at numbers kind of declining. I'm thinking in my mind, I think COVID was a little bit of a spark in the right direction to get tennis more talked about just because it was one of the sports you could play safely or can play safely or more mm-hmm. safely without, without high risk. But tennis, part of the reason, like I said, I've started this podcast is because tennis is just not the sport in popularity wise, it used to be just, it's just not even top five, six, seven in America. Other places, yes, but America, it's a little low. (laughs) Speaking of the game changing and progressing, what are your thoughts on making all men's matches best of three? I'm for it. You know what? That was that was something Novak Djokovic said that was actually right. The one Me? thing he said right in his career. He said, <laughs> I, he said I, I forgot what he said. I, I'm not, I read it, but it's been a couple of days since I read it, so I kind of forgot what he said. But he basically was in favor, or he was in favor of having the conversation to make everything best of three because they go best of three everywhere except those four tournaments. It's not going to make right. those four tournaments any less difficult because you still have to win seven matches. You still have to do it over a two-week period. You still have yeah. to play the best players in the world to get it. If you're just doing the same format that you do every other Everywhere tournament. Else. And, and then and Andy he, Murray, he came out and agreed with yeah, that. He agreed he with that too. Go Andy Murray. The point. He Go brought Andy up Murray. the point. He was like the, the best of the best of three for the most part, the outcome is going to remain the same. Because when you look at 
the Masters 1000s, it's pretty much the big three winning all those as well. For the and the most same, part. the same players get there consistently. So the best of five is just not going to change everything how people think. And then no one, if you get on Twitter and say no one is sitting through a five set match, you're going to have people that agree, and you're going to have some strange troll. Of course, I watch five set matches all the way. Like, no, you, no don't. you don't. Nobody. No, you does. don't. <laughs> who has who has five hours? Like five hours is a is a part time job shift. <laughs> that's how long a, and that's even that's just beginning to think how long a five set match could go and can a three set match during yeah that. a three set match can easily be three hours that's a, that is enough entertainment that is enough competition that is enough drama that is enough everything there's no need there really yeah. is no need and you figure during a grand slam if you watch two matches and they both go five that's 10 hours of your day watching yeah. just two matches which is exactly why people feel like that kind of PT Grand Slam D. <laughs> because it's so much tennis. It's especially, it's it's draining. Dra- especially if you are watching the men. And I did watch a good bit of men's tournaments or men's matches this year. And after both of the Grand after all three of the Grand Slams, I was just like, woo. That's a lot. That was a lot. <laughs> so speaking of three setters and Mm-hmm. Uh, timeliness in matches. Let's give the WTA <laughs> some shine a little bit because we've talked a lot about the ATP. You know, that's not where the action is. I'm joking. It is kind of. So the WTA has um, chosen not to have their version of the finals at the end of the year because their WTA finals would have taken place in Shenzhen and China is just not where you kind of want to put the big bucks in right now. I guess that's kind of safe to say with everything going on with the with the pandemic and the virus and COVID-19 and stuff. So I think they just kind of, they nipped that in the bud probably as soon as the tournament started canceling. Like, yeah, we're not about to go to China and, and put all of our money in there. But ca- small caveat, there's been some talk about how the WTA is in a quote-unquote financial crisis because they didn't host that event, which blows my mind because... Players consistently get million dollar paychecks, like multiple times throughout the the season. And I know a lot of that is like sponsor based and, you know, people have to donate and whatnot. But I just can't imagine we didn't play tennis for five months. In in five months after 50, how long has WTA been around? 50 something years or 50 on the dot, something like that. We don't play for five months and all of a sudden we're in economic ruins it just it just doesn't make sense it's like what y'all been doing with the money like how these players walking around with how are these players walking around with millions of dollars in their bank but the actual the actual organizing governing body can't survive for five months without playing or like if they yeah i was also just kind of confused why they didn't host it in another city i mean i know like obviously that city or that venue or whatever has i'm guessing rights to it or whatever but it's not like that's not a tournament that you can postpone. So it's like, if you can't host it, just let somebody else host it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's hundreds of cities that hundreds? would have been willing to, you know. <laughs> they should have just I'd kept it in hundreds. LA and never left it. I mean, L- they should have kept LA, it in LA, LA never left it. Done it. There's not a PSA, if anybody's watching, if, there, if you are any kind of like tournament organizer or anybody that knows somebody that knows somebody that can officiate a tennis tournament, there are not enough tennis tournaments in California for me or for me or brian definitely brian not. being a resident california resident zero like, zero in Los it doesn't Angeles. make sense how are there 
so many tennis players are like trained and are based out of California, but there's not, there's only two tennis tournaments. I mean, granted, the one is huge. It's Indian Wells, great tournament, but there needs to be California makes up a Yeah. (laughs) California makes up most of the United States, not most, but it makes up a very large portion of the United States. And for there to only be two tournaments there is kind of wild, especially when you think about how many tournaments there used to be in in LA or in California. Everything from San Francisco, which is San Francisco, yeah, Oakland, Oakland Bay Area had a tournament, mm-hmm. San Diego, um, Beach, LA, yeah. UCLA, Carson, mm-hmm. Stanford, yeah, Thanks all that. A bunch. They used San to be Jose. a bunch up and down the coast of California. Yep, San. Well, San Jose is the is the second one they were mentioning. San Jose for but, the men. Oh, there was mm-hmm. a San Jose. That for one the got men, right scrapped there. a couple yeah. years ago. That's not, that's not good. See, this is what we're saying about the decline of tennis. This is what we're saying. <laughs> they got to do something different. They got to do something yeah. different. But back to, the, back to the women. The only reason I wanted to mention the women is because there's not really much to talk about outside of maybe Arena Sabalenka, you know, going on a small tear <laughs> and winning the last two tournaments. She won Ostrava, which is, a, which is I don't want to say thrown together, but Ostrava, which is weird because going back to what you just said, how they could have put the WTA final Easy. somewhere else. Ostrava was somewhere that was Ostrava's first time hosting a WT event. So and they they made it happen during a pandemic, during a panty. So I don't understand how the WTA (laughs) couldn't like, hey, let's do it in Phoenix or let's do it in Nevada or something. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Or like some other place where like numbers are low. I have no idea. But Sabalenka went on a tear, but she has a small history of doing that and then getting to the big stages where people are actually watching and not performing well. So we shall see if that changes into the next season. But the WTA, a lot of people are kind of talking about them because their world number one ranked player, Ashley Barty from Australia, played three tournaments this year or four. I know she played, she won a tournament in Adelaide, which is a warm up to the Australian Open. Now she did play Brisbane the week before that, which is also a warm up to the Australian Open. She played the Australian Open, so that's three tournaments right there. And I want to say she played in Doha, which is kind of like a tournament in February-ish after the Australian Open, and that's it. Granted, mm-hmm. we it's it's been a very chaotic year. I get it. Um, she has chosen she chose basically not to participate in the U.S. Open swing in September, and she didn't go to Paris to play the French Open in October. That's her right, but I do think it's odd that she basically gets to be the year in number one ranked player for a second year in a row after playing so little when other players took the risk and got a reward by winning, you know, and are not even in the mm-hmm. top 10, i.e. Iga Swiatek winning the French Open. She's not even in the top 10. She's not, she's not lowly ranked, but she's not in the top 10. And then finishing in the top 10 is, that's a that's a huge that's a huge honor you know like people people go years finishing in the top 10 like especially once your career is all said and done if you can say that you were a consistent top 10 player you may get a bid in the hall of fame or something like that or you know that that it just means something so for her to kind of finish as the world in the the year ending number one it definitely has somewhat of a heavy asterisk i think they're going to put an asterisk next to it in the wikipedia pages just because she <laughs> just be, just because she didn't play granted she was in australia and they were making it 
they were taking the lockdown a lot more seriously than we were in America. So I think that had, I think that factored into how she could travel, how she could train, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, she didn't play. Not not to take it not not take anything yeah. away from her, but that's just the facts of the matter. So it's hard to justify somebody that didn't play being the quote unquote on paper the best player in the world for that year. You know what I'm saying? I don't think they have to put an asterisk on her being your number one. I think just 2020 in general has a big asterisk on it. But then that takes away the players like Dominic Team and Iga Swiatek who had good break and Kennan who had big breakthroughs. So why do they have asterisks? No. I don't I don't think um I don't think it does only because they decided on the ranking system that they were going to go with as far as Oh yeah, I forgot to mention you, they did freeze yeah, it. Yeah, so if, if they decided to freeze, so it's like if you decide to freeze that the uh, that's what's going to happen. Like when you freeze ranking points, you you freeze it. So it's like she is the frozen number 1 and that's just kind of how I look at it. And then, not, uh, and then also there were after like after the the mandated tennis shut or the mandated coronavirus shutdown there were only 11 wt events hosted that's not a lot compared to 50 something that they have <laughs> right like there's 50 something there was only 11 more after the five to six month layoff if somebody were to even challenge her for number one they basically would have had to play everything and win everything to basically yeah. challenge her. And that's just not realistic, especially in WGA when we know there's different winners every single week. So it's just yeah. not realistic. So, I mean, I, I feel for her, um, but I don't think she's probably, I don't think she's celebrating it. She probably doesn't give a shit. She gives me very like, okay, like awesome. <laughs> when and can I play tennis just, again? Maybe it's just me too. Cause like, I don't personally, that's never one of the lot of weight on was year number one, which is, I know Wait, it's one like, more time. That's never been something that I put personally a lot of weight on, like who ended the year number one, which I would always hear the commentators talk about. It. Yeah, like so and so's year number one. For me, that really never really meant a lot. I don't know why, but like just in my own personal, instance, I get it. Like, oh, this is like something you know I would want my favorite players to achieve. Like that was just never it for me so i think because i don't really care much about it and, and, and it doesn't really it doesn't really factor as like oh so and so didn't get to be year number one like that even in a normal year that's not something that i'm ever really concerned about and when you when you look at like who's specifically on the wta side when you look at who's been year number one a couple of years it has been interesting I remember 0405 Lindsay davenport was year number one and she didn't she didn't win a major that year, Elena Yankovic was year number one, and she mm-hmm. didn't win a major that year. I want to say Denara Safina. No, she wasn't. I don't think Safina was year in number one. I think Serena nipped her in the bud really quickly before she could, before that could happen. But <laughs> I, I get what you mean, but I also do think there is some weight to it, especially when you jump over to the ATP side and look at Pete Sampras, who did it six years in a row, and then Novak Djokovic, yay, Novak Djokovic. <laughs> he just got he just finished year number one for the sixth for the sixth time, not in a row, but just for the sixth time. I think it it, it signifies that you were the best player across the stretch. That's what it signifies to me that you were the most consistent for that season. And it's that what it shows on the on the the number because you make a good point because when you think about somebody like Venus, Venus Williams, 
in 2000, 2001, she won four slams and didn't even touch the world number one ranking until 2002. And she only mm-hmm. touched it for a couple of weeks right before Serena grabbed it for, from her. A lot of that has to do with kind of how many tournaments you enter, but it, 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 it does kind of show the, the weirdness in relation, to, in relation to how much emphasis people put on the grand slams and then sometimes how it doesn't equate to where the person falls in the rankings. Because to me, if you win two grand slams in a year, you should be top two, at the least top three. And sometimes it doesn't right. work out that way. Just It doesn't work out that way because of how the rankings are done mat- mathematically. Say you mm-hmm. had like a terrible end of the season and you come and you win. How, do I, how would I put that? Like if you had a terrible tail into mm-hmm. the season and then you win like – <laughs> the Australian Open and the French Open, and then you you go back and you have a you don't have a, you have another terrible season. Your prop your ranking is probably not going to improve. It's going to improve, but it's not going to you're not going to better yourself. You basically have to you basically have to be better in the weeks that you weren't good at the week the season before. Basically, right, and that's why I that's probably another reason why I don't put much weight on it is because yeah, it's who's the best that year, but it's also heavily weighted on. It's computerized. Who's the best? Well, it's who's the best that year in comparison to your previous year. Yeah. Because let's say you make, let's say you win every every major in 2019, and then in 2020, let's say you're runner up at four of the majors. Your <laughs> your rank is going to dip. Yeah, your rank is going to dip. Even which is though, unfair. <laughs> yeah. So even though you made four majors, which is probably like the best, probably one of the best um, showings. Your your ranking is gonna dip. Your ranking is mm-hmm. gonna dip. So that's why for me it's not a it's not a factor of who's the best on the year because it's who's the best in relation to your previous year. If that makes sense. I get what you're saying. I mean, I, I don't I don't put as not not that you say it, I don't put that much weight on it. But when it's my fave, it is nice to see my fave kind of <laughs> just sit there at the top of the rankings while everybody, well, you know, while everybody's kind of like gearing up for the next season. It is nice to kind of see my fave just sit there for a couple of extra weeks. It is nice. That was, that was another thing that the commentators always were so annoyed by. Like, oh, is, is it a weird that's, that like, for the longest time they would always say Wozniacki, like, Wozniacki's number one. And she She's the number one. She was year number one for two years in a row, 2010 and yeah. And had and more for slams. Me, for me, it that that bothered me. I'm like, if they are consistently across the year, yeah, the best player, then they're the best player. So if what? They don't winning, have a major. If they're, if they're winning, winning Budapest, titles, Rome. If they win in Budapest, Rome, and New Haven, then hey, <laughs> yeah, then they are the best player. Like it's, it's system for a reason. Like you can't agree to a system and then not agree to some parts. It's yeah, like, you can't you can't agree to play on the WTA and then the WTA computerized rankings and they'd be like, well, you know. Yeah, well, you're not actually it. the best. It's like, well, no, I, I am because I have more points than you. <laughs> well, because well, because the rankings have been so weird this year, I think it would be fun for us to basically make our own top 10 because I don't think the top 10 as it stands right now is a very accurate reflection of who actually had the best season this year, mm-hmm. especially on the WTA side. On the on the ATP side, it's a little bit more reflective. Um, right. Maybe with like maybe two or maybe one or two um, differences. But on the WTA side, there's about like two or three players that I'm just like, Mm-mm, you don't need to be, you don't need to be up here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, going back to our previous comment, are you more so looking, are we placing more weight on people who did well in the Grand Slams or people who were consistent throughout? throughout I would, just because I, I would put more weight on people that did well in the Grand Slams just because that's the pinnacle of the sport for me. I don't think, you know, I, I try to have a healthy balance of players that play well outside the Grand Slams because I get it, it's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. And that just, it, for whatever reason, you know, because there's, there's a lot of variables in tennis, like the, the balls, the court speed, all of that changes week to week. So, you know, maybe all four of those majors is just not where you play the best. And you play really well other places and it gets you to a top ranking. Um, but for the most part, I do think there is a special it, there's a special place in my heart for players that do well at the at the best tournaments, which is why Serena is probably my fave. So there's that. I only <laughs> I only brought that up because if that's the case, there's only one player who could be the number one. <laughs> and we don't we don't we don't really like her that much. Well, no, I don't, we I talking... don't mind her. Don't, you can speak Ooh. for yourself. Who? Who who would undisputably be the number one player based off of majors? This yeah, year? this year who would it be? Kidding. Oh, I, mm. uh, I don't. A, a title and a runner up. No, 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 no. You, no I'm agreeing. No, I'm agreeing. No one with can you. dispute that. No, I'm agreeing with you. I just I thought <laughs> that we were on the same page as far as far as not really caring for her. No, I don't have a problem with her. I think she has work to do. <laughs> I think she has some work to do if she is going to be carrying the sport and reaching major finals a couple of times a year as far as how she uh, presents herself on court and just how her overall aura is a oh, little I, bit. I agree with that. I agree with that. Her overall aura is a little bit of like bratty school age girl. And in, <laughs> but, but I, but I, I can't, I can't hold all of that against her because that's kind of, what her life has shaped up to be like it's been very much so singularly focused on tennis so i can only imagine she has some social growth to kind of do because she was so singularly minded on being a tennis champion and it's it's happened so early for her because i don't Mm. think she's she's 22 yeah she's 22 22 she's still very yeah i was awkward at 22 so i mean i can't (laughs) you know i can't i can't hold it against her but just from what i see so far i wouldn't I always, you know, I kind of use this as a barometer. I would not rush to go get a, a drink with her at the bar. <laughs> That's fair. That's <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> well, yes, you're right. But yeah, she would have to be the number one just based off of major performance. Is that who you're um, putting in your your? So you're you're drafting your own W. She would right have. There. I mean, she would have to be. There's no one else that had comes close to her major performance this year. Yep, and she won a title off, you know, outside of the majors too. So. She would have to be the 2020 number one player based then, off of performance. Gotcha. I, I mean, I would agree. I mean, I agree yeah. with like a little bit of a smirk, but I agree. <laughs> and then I think number two, I think we can agree on number two, Osaka. Can you agree yeah. with that? Osaka oh, yeah. would Osaka definitely be number, number two. two. I mean, the, those were what, the only two? Wait, were there two or three ma- three majors? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Osaka, I think, would be a solid number two. Osaka is solid number two. I think a solid number three would be it's a I don't want to say a toss-up because I think one player has a has a slight edge. I think it could be Iga Swiatek, Iga Swiatek for number three. Okay. Or or Azarenka. 
Um, and if you pick as a ranker, you have to, you can't just look at the majors because she did have a great major being the uh, U.S. Open finalist. But she I'll, also give had I'll give it yeah, to I'll give it to Svantec because of the fashion that she won. The, the yep. fact that she won without <laughs> dropping a set and was literally <laughs> barely losing games. Yeah, I'll give it to her. Um, for that, she for that reason, past that tournament, man, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't it yeah. funny how Halep is the number two is a number two ranked player and ends the season number two? She got to the semis of the Australian Open, didn't play the U.S. Open, and then lost in the fourth round of the French Open. I mean, well, we already addressed that. that's because of the frozen rankings. It's frozen. It is, but <laughs> so you can't you can't really put emphasis on like who was the best this year. It's it's what we're seeing is who was the best in. I mean that's that's literally with a you couple said, twenty said, with a couple twenty twenty tournaments thrown in there. Oh, you, you said we're seeing who was the best in twenty nineteen with a couple more tournaments thrown in there. Well, I'm just saying like what we see at Kings now is who was the best in twenty nineteen with a couple twenty twenty results sprinkled in. I like, would for agree. For instance, obviously like Azarenka being thirteen, like obviously that's she had a big splash at some you know mm-hmm. some big tournaments, but she got the three finals. She didn't. She well, she got yeah. the three finals and won one. At Cincinnati, and she had a walk over there. It was kind of unfortunate, but she still won, and the ranking points still got to her. You know, got next to her name. So shout out to her. So we we made a top four, right? Or top three? Uh, Kenan, Osaka, Sviatek. I would put. Yeah. I was gonna maybe put Serena four, but we'll I'll I'll put Serena five. Serena five. is in the top ten. She is in the top ten. Um, I don't know if she I'll did, put her as five. I don't know if I put her. She as five. did get a title. Yes, she did get a title, did. and she got, <laughs> she got herself a title finally since 2017. Um, and she played well at the U.S. Open. Obviously, like you know, it wasn't one more match. Yeah, one more. Or I guess two more, considering. I just would have loved, man. I know, I know, we're backtracking, but I would have loved to see a Serena Osaka matchup again, especially with no crowd, with no crowd or no Carlos Ramos. Man, man, we could have got something. (laughs) Well, hopefully, we get it in Australia. Hopefully, the 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 stars align because we were supposed to low key get that for the Australian Open semifinals in 2019. We were. Tough time. But yeah, I'll, put her, I'll put her five just because, I mean, she did get the title. She did have, I mean, she had some really shaky <laughs> tournaments over the summer. But, um, I mean, <laughs> I, you, you're talking about Lexington and, and uh, Cincinnati, right? Yeah. Or Cincy, New York, when it was in New York. Yeah. Those, she was coming off of a five-month layoff. And it wasn't like True. a five-month layoff where, like, <laughs> she's had longer layoffs but i think this one was different because it was different for everybody it was it was a weird layoff and i i'm not gonna say i can't hold it against her because she did go out there and compete and people won those tournaments so mm-hmm. it's just looking back on it now it's just it was kind of to be expected for her to not come out of the 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 gates like fuming just because it was weird she has a I'm pretty sure she spent most of her time with her husband and daughter not training during those four months. I think she was yeah, training and she's, yeah. she, she said she was training, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So who would you put as your, we'll just skip five and go to six. <laughs> um, 
I'm looking at the rankings now. I think I will give it to. Did we put Azarenka in there already? Yeah, we put Azarenka as four. I think it could be a Kvitova or Muguruza. They could probably be interchangeable or be right next to each other. Kvitova because she got to the semis of Brisbane in the quarters of the Australian Open. And she played a really, really tough match that could have went either way against uh, Shelby Rogers and the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open. And she got to the quarters of the uh, French Open, and she hadn't got to the quarters of the French Open in a long time. So I think she had a really good season. I would, I would put Kvitova there. I think if we had, I think if we had not had the break that we had, we could be looking at her having a little bit of a higher ranking. But I, I wouldn't be – I mean, I'm, I'm make, some people might think I'm shooting for the stars here, but I would not be surprised if Kvitova squeaks out one more major or has, like, one more streak. Oh, she definitely could. She could have – I mean, she, she could have won the year. French Open. Yeah, yeah she yeah. could have done the French Open. Um, I'm going to come out of not fully left field, but a little bit out of left field, and I'll put um, – Jim Brady as my number oh, six. You, that's not a bad. That's not a bad pick because <laughs> she she gave Osaka all she could handle in those U.S. Mm-hmm. Open semifinals, and she got to another semifinal. She won a title, and she yeah. won a title. She won the and... title. She won the. She won one of the first tournaments back at Lexington, and August. she had several several top win. ten wins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She like beat Kerber at the U.S. Open, which we all love. <laughs> Yeah, she had at least four or five top ten wins too. So like she she had a very solid if we're just going like strictly off of twenty twenty, she I think she was she would be top ten when it comes to performance on the court. I think she would be top ten. I also think Sabalenka is Sabalenka top 10. for sure. Yeah. And I, I think I think a solid Muguruza is top ten. Or if not Muguruza, I'm looking at these players right now that are in the top twenty. If not Muguruza, we could have an argument for Ribakana or Mertens? Ribakana started off the year getting to four finals and winning one. Yeah, she got to the finals of Shenzhen. She won Hobart. She got to the finals of Dubai. And mm-hmm. she got to the finals of something else. I'll stick with Muguruza. <laughs> <laughs> That's not right. That's not right. Muguruza, Muguruza didn't have a bad season, but it was. I think it was the I get what you're saying. It was the way in which she got to that Australian Open final. Yeah, Nobody was, was really well. thinking about her. She was playing well. She beat really yeah. good players along the way. So I guess yeah. you're right. I would put I would put Ruguruta. And then for Mertens, my argument for Mertens is is once they said tennis was was all systems go, she went she all was, systems go. She, yeah. <laughs> she was every week she was playing. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that she's able to stay healthy that whole time, yeah. I don't think she's really ever been sidelined by injury or anything. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Um, yeah. But um, she's yeah, another she's, player that just is real, real salt and pepper, real, you know. I mean, we saw her in Indy Wells last year. She doesn't hit the ball badly at all. She just mm-hmm. is like just Betty. very vanilla. If that, not to say it's a bad thing, I think she's a very, you know, I think yeah. she is somewhat endearing, but just on the court, she doesn't do anything like, ooh, wow. Ooh, yeah, she's sir. not flashy, but she's she gets the job flashy. done. She gets the job done, and she's very, she's a grinder. Is that is that the top ten? That that's not like the top. That's 10. a top ten. That's <laughs> top ten. Those those were the standout players of the year. You know, everything considered. Yeah, for sure. So you, before before I go, I really. Who do you two, – well, two things I wanted to ask you before, before we go. Where do you see Serena trending into 2021? Because 
2021, I mean, we, again, I probably said this a couple of times now, we don't know where we stand. Everybody's kind of on eggshells, but hypothetically speaking, we could get all four Grand Slams again, plus the Olympics. So that's a lot of opportunity for Serena to win. Where do you kind of see her trending? I'm hoping for a Wimbledon title. That would make me happy. <laughs> I could take a Wimbledon. Um, and if I'm being greedy, I'll take one more. I'll take a... I could see her coming out of the gate firing at Australia if she, like, really buckles down and, like, really... Yeah. If she like, takes this off she's season, in that mindset, yeah. If she uses this off season to train like Andreescu was training in that clip we saw, exactly. <laughs> she posted a clip on Twitter. I was like, girl, I forgot she played tennis. <laughs> I do miss yeah, she was, she was more, looking, I do miss Andreescu on the tour. I do. <laughs> she was looking very determined in that clip. Very. Very about to beat all you bitches again. And that's just going like to be that. a. It reminded me of like a, a Rocky. Montage. I know, right? <laughs> just like, <laughs> like I'm coming good. for you guys. But I, I speak, I mean, tan, tangentially, I would be surprised if Andrea who comes out of the woodwork swing just because she hasn't played in so long. But it's then again, there's been yeah, stranger things that happen on WTA. But back to Serena. I Would I like to see her win two majors next year and just like hang it up that way? Or, you know, get close to hanging it up that way and kind of dead the conversation and people, people can stop saying Margaret Court's name. I would love for that to happen. <laughs> just realistically, I don't know if that's going to happen just because I feel like there's been so much scar tissue built up in the past couple of seasons with her getting so close and not coming and not coming, you know, coming good in the moment. It's good mm-hmm. that she's gotten so close, but when you get so close to something and don't actually bring home the bacon, I guess you, you can say the next time you get in that position, you're kind of thinking about the times you didn't bring it home, you know? And I mm-hmm. think that would be very, I mean, she's human and I can't blame her for that, but she has other things on her priority list. And so now she's always going to be my fave. She's always going to be probably the best athlete to pick up a tennis racket. In my opinion, I just think two slams it's doable. It's just things have to fall in into play whereas the Serena I started to stand it didn't matter who was in her way like she if she was playing well it didn't matter what the draw looked like she was gonna win and if it got tough you know I was watching a point of I was watching a point on Instagram between her and Wang Chiang of from the 2020 Australian Open it was like 5-4 in the second set it was I think this rally has kind of made its its rounds but that was should have been a pivotal moment, you know, like that should have been a moment where the match turned on Serena's side and it kind of did, but it also didn't stick. It didn't stick there. So (laughs) I don't know. I'm just interested to see how Serena is going to, you know, trend into 2021. Mm -hmm. And then also I think it'll be good. I'm not going to put too much pressure on her. Do you have anybody that, you know, we haven't mentioned yet that you think is going to be, have a good 2021 men or women's side uh definitely interesting to see how uh Schwantek follows up her french open i think it's always tough after someone gets their maiden slam because all, all the pressures on them and everyone's they see them as a target and all that kind of stuff but um like Sloan stevens yeah so uh <laughs> we'll see how she's back from that um, it'll be interesting to see if Sabalenka can propel herself from winning all the smaller tournaments to see if she can finally get a big one because she obviously has the game for it. 
interested to see if Keys can finally make a breakthrough and get a title. Man, Keys lifting some major hardware is the whole of the podcast episode. Um, <laughs> and I, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what else to say about that. <laughs> just don't, just because it's so much potential and it's just not being tapped the right way. I don't know. And maybe we just maybe we just see too much that isn't there. I don't I don't know what to, I don't know what to put my 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 finger on keys. But I, I and then it's hard to choose with the WTA players as a whole. With the with the ATP, I'd be surprised if like the people we mentioned earlier, the Medvedev, Tsitsipas, team, Rublev, Zverev, if he doesn't, you know, crumble under these whole domestic abuse allegations, those mm-hmm. players are gonna be in the mix most likely in the next season. Yeah, the, the WTA. It could be anybody from a college player to Daniel Collins <laughs> to I'll be golf. To see how uh, Shapovalov does. Yes, year. like him. He had a very really strong. Like Actually, both of the Canadians. I'm interested to see what kind of scar tissue uh, Felix Auger Aliassime has built. All those finals. <laughs> yeah, he keeps getting the finals and isn't lifting the right trophy. You um, forgot about Roundage too. All three. Of I them. didn't forget about Roundage. It's just that Roundage's <laughs> Roundage's window of opportunity is it's there. Like I, I still think he has a final run in him. He just yeah. another player that needs things to fall kind of right because that man he can play. Yeah, he definitely. But gut aside, like COVID gut aside, <laughs> he can play. He can still play ball. I know he's about to turn thirty, but you know, thirty is not the you know the end all be all used to be in tennis. Right. We'll we'll see if he takes some of the momentum he built for himself towards the end of the season and brings it towards next season. But I also, I, you just you made me think about something. I know he's mentioned a couple times, you know, not really feeling mentally or feeling more mentally exhausted during during these times to play during you know than than I guess normal times. So we shall see how all of that plays into it. And I, you know, the the pandemic is affecting our favorite players in ways that, that we probably don't even know. So it's going to be interesting to see how it affects play in 2021. Fingers crossed we can at least get all four Grand Slams played in or around the time that they're normally played, plus the Olympics. Because I was looking forward to that this year. Yeah. Is there anything going on in your life as a, a – um, uh, LA staple in the hitting hitting tennis partner uh, <laughs> corridor of life. Mostly just kind of there's like a new I'll give a shout out to Tennis League Network. That's one of the places. That's actually where I first started playing like more so like competitive tennis. It's mm-hmm. they have them in various cities. So I've, I obviously play in Tennis LA, but they have what's called Tennis New York, Tennis Baltimore, Tennis um, San Francisco. Like they have I think like 40 different cities or regions around the country and it's very flexible. You can play as much or as little as you want to play. And then I'm actually going to Miami next week to play. If you win your region, you get invited to the national one, which is actually played at Crandon park, which used to host the Miami tournament. So I'm looking forward to that. Good old Crandon park. So yeah, I'll be, I'll be playing out there playing people who have won you know their respective regions and that kind of but yeah USTA leagues and tournaments are kind of on hold for the most part they're trying to they're experimenting with like flex leagues and like that kind of stuff but it's just not really the same any tennis fans out there are looking to you know still play competitive still socially distance you know um and find competitive matches 
I definitely recommend this league network. They have great programs that they put on for sure. Well, that is good to know. And I will be wishing you the best and hopefully, hopefully you get to Crandon Park and get to lift. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be the equivalent of like, you know, I do hope you get to listen to anywhere. I and hope so too. On the purple and green, on the, on the purple and green courts, because those courts are beautiful. They are, and I'm sure our listeners will be wishing you the best of luck as well. <laughs> Appreciate you've gotten, it. You've gotten some good reviews, <laughs> <laughs> but I do thank you for taking time to talk to me about you know what's going on in the tennis world, and thank you for being our resident tennis junkie. I appreciate it. Hopefully Thanks for one day, having me. Hopefully one day I can spread I can spread the tennis junkiness a little bit more a little bit more equally. <laughs> but we got to start somewhere. <laughs> no, I always enjoy it, and thanks for always having me on. It's it's a pleasure just talking it's about what I love. Fun. It's always fun for sure. All right, you guys, you heard the conversation. You know by now, or you should at least, that me and Brian can talk about tennis from sunup to sundown, and that's why I have to come on here. And open up my good old laptop to make sure you guys don't hear a three-hour podcast or more. <laughs> I'd love if you could stay tuned. I have some things in the queue for you guys to listen to. And wait, that made me think about something. If you are listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, make sure you do me a, a favor and a solid and rate and review the podcast. That helps me out and again lets me know what you guys are thinking, what things I can improve on, what episode content or show content you would like to hear. And also the podcast email will be linked in the podcast description. So that way, if you want to email me about some things you'd like to hear, maybe if you want to be on the show yourself, but you know, I'm open to all kinds of things. The email will be linked in the podcast description as well as Brian's information and the podcast information on social media platforms. And that is about it. I'm about to make sure this thing uploads so you guys can listen to it smoothly while you are in the car or in the shower or doing laundry or whatever you're doing or have been doing while you listened. And I'm probably going to get me a good old slice of cake and some milk because I deserve it. (laughs) And the cake I have downstairs is like calling my name. It's like, Miles, Miles, eat me. (laughs) I'm childish. Okay. Bye, y'all. I will be coming back with more stuff. I promise you there will not be too many more breaks I have until 2021. Well, that made it seem like I'm going to take a break in 2021, which I won't. I'll be back stronger than ever. Yeah, I'm rambling at this point. (laughs) I will talk to y'all later, okay? See ya.